All right, good, uh, good evening, everybody. As you know, the last week and this week as well, the parshas are quite short, and the amount of available Rashbams is quite slim. So therefore, instead of focusing on the Rashbam, I thought I would focus on the Yom Tevim. And this is a speech that I gave yesterday, in part, in uh, in the uh, minion that we have by me uh, on Simon and Milsa, but I didn't have enough time to go through everything, and I had to go a little quickly. So what I thought I would do is go over that again today. So even though we're already past Rosh Hashanah, it's still an interesting topic. So Simon and Milsa, the idea that Simonim, they're doing things that are symbolic are of import, are of significant importance, is something that we come across a lot on Rosh Hashanah. We have the Halach and Shachan that the Torah already says the same idea, that Adam should be Ragel Echel Rosh Hashanah, a person should accustom himself to eat on Rosh Hashanah, Rubia, Dehainu Tilton, Karti, Silka, Tamri, Kara, you should eat these various different kinds of foods. And when he eats them, he should say, He should say, that it should increase his chusim. Or when he eats silka, he should make a yihiratzen that was yistakuayavenu. Or by tamarim, if he makes, uh, if he eats tamarim, he should say, So each one, of the various different simanim that there are, there's especially Yihiratzen for it. And then the Ramah continues, and the Ramah says, There are those that eat sweet apples in honey. And they say, They say it should be a sweet year. And then he continues, the Ramah, he says that there are those that have a minog to eat a remain on Rosh Hashanah. And they say that our zechusim should be so numerous like the seeds in a pomegranate. So we see numerous different iterations of various simanim brought down both in the Sephardic and the Ashkenazic worlds that are symbolic of a good year, that are evidence of a desire to have a sweet year. And we do that on Rosh Hashanah. More than that, we have other simanim as well. So the Shulchan continues to the next halacha. We eat the head of a, of a sheep. And why do we do that? So we should be like the head and not like the tail. And the Ramah adds... And when Mendakdek, not to eat, not to eat nuts. Not to eat that guys, which has the gematria of Chet, 17. Of course, it's also the gematria of Taif, of, of Taif, which is also 17. But why quibble? So what we see is that there are numerous simanim, numerous foods that we're encouraged to eat on Rosh Hashanah to evidence having a sweet year, a good year, and to evidence, to to symbolize getting rid of our enemies, destroying our enemies. All of that is brought down the halacha. 
and the Shulchan Aruch. And we continue. We also go to the sea, and we th- do Tashlech, symbolically throwing away our sins. Again, potentially something symbolic of starting the new year in a way sinless. And lastly, There's a custom, says the Ramah, a, a good custom, not to sleep on Rosh Hashanah during the day. Why is that? Because of the fact that it would potentially symbolize having a sleepy year. The Aruch HaShulchan adds that the Halchem Bezek Yifil Medina. He says, when you want to come to make these symbolisms of Rosh Hashanah, you can connect it to anything. It doesn't have to be a Hebrew vegetable with a Hebrew Yehiratzain. You could do a word in English. If the word in English has a has a good simon, you could use the word in English. Vahalchem Bezek Yifil Medina. You could, and that's why, for example, by carrots, right? We make the bracha of, we make the hirasa of Yerbuzchi Aisenu because it's merin. Or, you know, we want to say, um, we say that's silka. These are different languages that we're using, but we're nevertheless still, you know, tying it all together. And so, too, if you had a vegetable or fruit that in English had a, had a, a name, that we could use as a way of saying to destroy our enemies or to help us, says the Aruch HaShulchan, we could totally do that. Anything we could do, we can do whatever we sort of works for us. So, let's say, Karti becomes Shikaris, right? Um, uh, you know, each word has a play on it that works. Even if it's different languages, it doesn't make a difference. So we see that symbolizing we see that having hints about something are quite portentous, they're quite meaningful. It's brought down the halacha that we should be doing in Rosh Hashanah. It almost would seem, at first glance, like superstition. Right? If you go in America and, and you have somebody, like a, sometimes you hear these stories of these sports athletes very upset because a black cat walked in front of them. So if a black cat walks in front of you, it's a sign a very bad thing's going to happen. You're not going to hit well. You're not going to shoot well. That is, we view that as superstition. But I'll give you an example, a personal example that happened to me many years ago. Um, maybe like close to eight years ago, I was on a, a fishing boat and I was eating a banana. And we were going fishing for tuna fish. And people were screaming at me, you have a banana on the boat, you're going to make the trip be unsuccessful, no one's going to catch a fish. Um, needless to say, I finished the banana, uh, and I threw the peel away, uh, but I remember people were screaming, and the captain got on his megaphone, and was screaming, get rid of the banana. Um, the reason for that, by the way, is if you, you look historically, um, when they would transport bananas, you know, it would take a while, bananas would, would ripen relatively quickly, and they would, you know, become moldy. And that would give off what seems some sort of a gas, ethylene gas, which would, uh, you know, in, in infect other fruit. It would make things, you know, in a negative way on the boat. So therefore, uh, became a superstition that bananas on boats is terribly unsuccessful, make the voyage a disaster. Needless to say, on that boat, 
On that trip, I ended up catching a blue shark, as well as a 125 or so odd pounds, 130 pound swordfish. Now, I guess depending on whether or not you view the swordfish as being kosher or not, that would sort of impact how you view my luck that trip. But I say this tongue-in-cheek because obviously a banana doesn't have any real impact on the success of a fishing trip or on any boating mission. But yet, while we can say that with equanimity, we also have no problem eating the Simonim Rosh Hashanah. Do we think that that has any impact? Do we think that that has any effect? That's question number one. The source of the idea that we should do actions that are symbolic of having a good year comes from a Gemara. The Gemara in Hiris tells us also a Gemara increases. The Gemara says, Now that we say that a simon, that doing something symbolic is in fact valuable, so therefore, a person should be accustomed himself to eat at the beginning of the year, Kara, Rubia, Karti, Silka, Vitamri. A person should accustom himself to eat these various different foods. That's what Abaya says. Now, if you look carefully, there's another Gemara which is exactly the same as this one in Krisos. And over there, instead of saying the statement of Abaya that we find in Harius, we change one word. Amar Abaya, Hashta de Amres Simona Milsa. Now that we say that Simon is a real thing. So, that is to say, one Gemara, the Gemara in Hyria says, or depending on the gifts that you have, either it says to see the food, the simanim, or it says to eat it. There's actually a third girsa brought down in the Ga'inim. Also, you can see that similar girsa in the Rana Rosh Hashanah, where it says, Now that we say that simon is really a, a real thing, that you should hold it. So we have three different versions in Abaya. Either Abaya says you should eat the Simonim, or he says you should look at the Simonim, or he says you should hold the Simonim. Three different versions in Abaya, depending on the girsa that you have in the Gemars. So the question I would ask you is, why are there three different girsas in Abaya? I think the simple answer would be, because if you look at the three words that we're talking about, one is lemechal, one is lemechad, and one is lemechzeh. The, the, the beginning parts of the, each word are the same. Lemech is the same in each one of the three. So it could be it was a scribal error. It could be that these are three words that are very similar, and maybe they just made a mistake when they were writing it down. I grant you that that's a possibility. But I'm going to bet you that that's not actually the reason for this difference in Gersos and what Abayah said. I think that the reason for the difference in the Gersos is actually 
because there's a underlying problem and the underlying problem is is this considered a type of divination a type of accessing or attempting to harness illicitly using magical implements what we call nichosh the Torah tells us that it's usher to seek out knowledge in an unwholesome way. When the Torah commands us, we have to all be walking wholesome with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And it tells us that all of these things are not allowed. They're prohibited. I think the reason that you find these three different approaches in what Abayah said is in part a response to how comfortable people were with what Abaya was suggesting. And I know that this is most likely accurate, because there are many Rishayim and Achrayim who attempt to find for why this is not a problem of Nichosh, why this is not a problem of doing something magical that's not allowed. So that's going to be the argument. Let's first explain for a minute what Nichosh is. Nichosh is, the Rambam explains in Hilchus of Zara, that Nichosh is something happened to you let's say x happened to you or y happens to you one of these two things happens and therefore you either do z or you don't do z so if x happens you do z but if y happens you don't do z according to the rambam that's nichosh by divining what you should do or refraining from what you should do in response to an event that occurred in the past that's nichosh. That's classic case of nichosh, and it's not allowed. That, according to the Ram, is the classic case of nichosh, and that's 100% prohibited. Allowed in the Torah. What says the Rambam? The Rambam continues, and it says there's also a problem if you make simonim. What's the problem of simonim? Simonim is not something that happened to you in the past. A simon is something that happens to you in the future. You say, if x should occur to me then i will do z but if y should occur to me then i won't do z so you hear the difference nichosh is something that already happened and therefore you're making a decision whether or not you're going to do z or not do z whereas simonim it didn't yet happen you're going to make a determination about whether or not to do z on the basis of whether x or y happened to you in the future that's the difference between Nichosh and Simonim, but both of which are 100% Aser. Both of which are Chayv Malkis, both of which are Alav. According to the Rambam, there's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. It is a crystal clear. Nichosh and Simonim are not allowed. Now, there is a very large Machlekes in the Rishon, which we won't get into now, about whether or not there is actually any value to doing Nichosh. There are many Rishayim, for example, the Ramban, the Rashbam, Rashi, others, who view that there is, or there are, sources of knowledge outside the run-of-the-mill knowledge, and they can be accessed, they can be harnessed, it's just the Torah doesn't want you to do it. Maimonides views all of it as garbage. The Rambam and those that follow him View it all as garbage. It's all waste of time. But the Torah is trying to do is ensure that you're not a fool. Ensure that you're not wasting your time with this superstitious stuff. So according to the Ram, it's not real. And the Torah is trying to keep us to be a wise and understanding nation. 
So we can't be engaged in stupidity. We can't go to get our tarot cards reading or whatever. But according to the other Rishonim, Rashi, the Rashbam, the Ramban, others, they view it as real. There is serious value in this information. We just are not supposed to access it. So that's a machloikas. But according to the Rabbi Mahal, it's not real. He nevertheless still holds it's a love to practice it. The same way that when it comes to, according to the Rambam, doing magic tricks is a significant problem. Even though it's just sleight of hand, no one's ever claiming they're doing anything that's real magic. According to the Rambam, that's exactly what's coming to be asked in the Torah, is sleight of hand. I was recently at a Shev Brachos, where they had a magician. And the magician said, look, I'm aware of the Rambam, so I want to say at the outset, he was obviously a firm magician, and he says, I want to say at the outset that I know the Rambam says what I'm doing is not allowed, but I've heard from a rabbi that if I say that I'm aware of the Rambam, and all I'm doing is sleight of hand, then it's okay. I'm not sure whether or not the Rambam would agree with that qualification. Here's my exculpatory sentence, and now I can do whatever I want. It's sort of like, as long as you go to confession, you know, you're allowed to sin. Um, I'm not 100% convinced that uh, that rabbi was correct, but that's what this magician was comfortable with. So moving on. So the question that we have is the following. The question that we have is, the Torah is very clear, you're not allowed to do any divination, you're not allowed to do any necromancy, you're not allowed to do any of this kind of illicit knowledge. You're not allowed to make decisions on the basis of past events, and you're not allowed to, um, you're not allowed to uh, uh, make decisions on the basis of future events. Where does the simanim on Rosh Hashanah fit in? When Rabbi says that Hashad Ami... Simona Milsa, now that we said a simon is a real thing. Where does it fit in? You're not it's not a past event. You're eating something and you're saying that it should have a good year. That doesn't sound like it's either Nikhush or the situation of Simonim. Not a hundred percent clear how it fits in. But it sounds a bit odd, right? On the one hand, we're saying, Oh, you're gonna have we want to be blessed with a good year, but we're eating this stuff and we're hoping that that's gonna give us a good year. So how is that going to get us a good year? That's where that sort of fits into the interstitial space of how does eating something or looking at something or holding something in any way help us get a good year? That's a fundamental problem. And that's what the Yushayim who are talking about it coming essentially to answer. So there are a number of different answers. For example, the Kobay says that when you Eat the Sibanim, you make a Hiratzin. I know some people have a meaning that the Hiratzins don't have Hashem's name. Other people have the meaning that the Hiratzin does have Hashem's name. The Kalbai says that the Hiratzin has Hashem's name in it. And and the Girsa that he that he uses in Seches Krisos is that the Balabayas is bringing, getting this all the fruit to look at. And he makes a Hiratzin. And he makes it, he writes with Hashem's name on it. And he gives all the various different simanim in each one, how it ties in. But according to the Kobay's reading, there's no way to possibly ever get this confused with Nichosh. Right? This is sort of like this rabbi for this magician. If you're eating the carrot, and you're saying, You're davening. The carrot is just the hechetimtza, the daven. The carrot is just the intermediary, as it were, 
to cause you to pray. But the carrot itself has no value. The value is the tefillah. The da- value is the davening. So it would be very difficult to argue that this is a situation of nichosh. Because it's clear that you're not relying on the carrot to do anything. The carrot is literally just to spur you on to daven. The second answer is the answer from the Me'iri. And the Me'iri there in Hairiya says that also it seems to be talking about looking at it like the cowboy, not actually holding because that seems to be the Girsa in Hairiya's Lamechze, as opposed to Krizus, which seems to be Lamechal, which as opposed to the guy, and that seems to say it's Lamechad. So these are the these are the various, as I say, Girsas that there are. But the Me'iri says the following. The Me'iri says that the reason we have these various simonim is because Rashi also points this out, that they they grow quickly or they're sweet um, or they have you know good gematrias or they have good names that we could tie into something. And that's the reason that we don't want to do you know certain gematrias like egg guys, which is a gematria chait. We don't some people don't want to eat bitter foods on, on Rosh Hashanah, they want to have chrain, uh, they want to have salt, because they don't want to have a bitter year. Right, we also know the Gemara says in the Gemara says in Megillah that that we want to make sure that we finish the laning of the clawless before the new year. We want to be able to um, get rid of any bad portents for the new year. So any curses we take care of in the last year. So that says the Me'iri, the following line. He says, In order to avoid the problem that maybe you're eating the simanim al derech nichosh, how do we avoid it? Therefore, we say on these things, things are going to spur us on to tshuva. So, according to what the Meiri is learning, it's not that we're davin takarish that's the kolboy. But according to the Meiri, what we're gaining when we make the hiratzayins is it's going to spur us on to have a cheshben nefesh. It's going to spur us on to have a hero tshuva. When we talk about karti, and we say she kursu sayne'enu, who is the sayne'enu? You know, maybe the sayne'enu is our yitzhahara, right? Maybe the sayne'enu that we want to rain down terror on and we want Hashem to, you know, take care of them. Well, it causes us to think about ourselves and our own actions. Do we warrant such good treatment from our Kaddish Baruch Hu? So it spurs us on to do tshuva. So the Miri says that effectively what the Hiratsans are there for is to spur us on to do tshuva. And therefore, we won't get into a problem of confusing the implement that's spurring us on to tshuva with nichosh. That is... That is the approach of the Me'iri. I want to say a couple more approaches. One is the approach of the Marsha. The Marsha says that, you know why it's not Nichosh? The Marsha says it's not Nichosh because here all the signs are to attempt to make us have a good year. The only time you're going to get into a Nichosh situation is when you're dealing with signs that would tell you about something negative. Something that would tell you negative about your year. But there's nothing in the in the in the simanim that we eat, the Rosh Hashanah. All the simanim for Rosh Hashanah 
are all supposed to be emblematic, symptomatic, symbolic of having a good year. So therefore, there's no problem, says the Marshal. But vice versa, if we were having signs that were symbolizing negativity, bad things happening, that would be a danger of Nichosh. That's the answer of the Marsha. So according to the Marsha, you don't have to say any Hirat signs. Merely symbolizing things that are good doesn't get you into a problem of Nichosh. It's only when you're symbolizing things that are bad. That's the Marsha. Now let's take it up a, a notch. And let's discuss the morale. The morale in the Berak Gaila asks the question of whether or not Abaya is talking about something of Nichosh. He says there are many people that understand Abaya hashta the Amr Simana Milsa as being Nichosh. Says the Marsha, it's not Nichosh. Says the Marsha, it's not Nichosh, and I'll tell you how I know. So the morale says that he knows that this is not Nichosh because he has a Ramban. And it's interesting because the Marsha, the Marsha, I'm sorry, not the Marsha, the Maral says about the Ramban, he calls him the following. He says that, that the Ramban is Harav Hagadol. The Ramban is the great rabbi. Um, the Rav Hagadol, the great Rav, and he says about him that he's the Mekubal Eloki, he's the godly mystic, Asher Elav Levadai, that only to him was Niglu Talumais Chachma, was revealed to him the secrets of wisdom, and the secrets of the Torah. So, if you go through the Maral's Beragayla, you see who the Mara wasn't such a fan of. There were many rabbis that he didn't see eye to eye with. But the Ramban is somebody that the Mara very much admired. And again, he calls him the Mekubal Eloki. Asher loy levadoi, right, was nigl talumais chachma v'seideyatera. And he quotes here a Ramban from Parshas Lech Lecha. This Ramban is an important Ramban. The Ramban is a Yusaitis digger Ramban, in terms of uh, understanding Chumash and Tanakh generally. And it's also a Ramban that's important because it could be used to answer the common question. Namely, the question the first Rashi in Chumash from Rabbi Yitzchak, why did the Torah begin Bereshus? It should have begun with Achadish HaZelachem. If the Torah is a, a, a law book, it's telling us what thou shalt and thou shalt not, why are we wasting all the time on the narrative section that we find in the Bereish Ascension beginning of Shemais. On this, we know the various different answers from Rashi. The Rashbab even has many answers. The Ramban has an answer. The Ramban's answer is what we call today colloquially, Maisa Avay Simen Lubanim. What happened to the Zayda, what happened to the Babas, that has an impact for us. That portends both good and bad for us. Says the Ramban. To answer a question that he has in Pasuk Chumash, in the beginning of Parshas Lech Lecha, Pasuk tells us, Vayavar Avram Ba'aretz, Ad Mekayim Shechem, Ad Elayin Mayrev Akanani Az Ba'aretz. Why did Avram pass through Shechem? As a Pshat matter, Avram passed through Shechem, because when you go visit the Shomron, you see that when you're coming from the north, 
the way you get in between the mountains is by coming through Shechem. That's as a matter of Pshat. But that's not what Rashi says, that's not what the Ramban say. What they say is Shechem, as we know, is Muchan Leperonius. Shechem is a place where terrible things are going to happen to the children of Israel. Whether it's the Baisa with Dina, whether it's the sale of Yosef, whether it's the splitting of the Melucha, Shechem has always been a problem. Why did he go to Shechem, says Rashi? To Davin. To Davin, to Davin for the great-grandchildren, to Davin for the family. Says the Ramban, that's correct. And the Ramban develops an idea. The idea that the Ramban develops is the following. He says, Anything that happens in the abstract world, anything that's occurring in the metaphysical world that hasn't yet translated, it hasn't yet gone from the it hasn't yet gone from this sort of abstract reality to practical, physical reality, it hasn't yet made manifest in a physical way yet in this world. On says the Ramban, anything where that has not yet occurred, but it is a metaphysical reality, it is a nevuah, it is true in another world, if you manifest it physically in a symbolic action, then what you're doing is taking the gezerah and bringing it, you're bringing it into this world, you're manifesting it in a symbolic way, that's going to make that metaphysical reality be translated into real physical reality. That is the Ramban. Says the Ramban, why was Avram Avinu going to Shechem? He was davening in Shechem in order to ensure as much as possible to help remove the, the, the terrible taint of what was going to happen to his descendants over the terrible problems they were going to suffer. And that's why he went to go daven in Shechem, to help alleviate that, to help ameliorate that in some way. Because there was such a metaphysical reality in existence. It lived in the world of Gezerah. It lived in the world of an abstract reality. So by him going and symbolically attempting to ameliorate it, to alleviate it a bit by davening, that enabled it essentially to be lessened to some degree. That enabled it to be diminished, the, the terrible aspects of Shechem to some degree. The Rabbah makes two rayas to his point. One is from Elisha, and one is from Yirmiya. Elisha, right before he dies, so Melchiyash is there. It's like the he's finally getting along with the king of Israel, but doesn't last very long. So he tells him on his deathbed, as a dying man, he says, listen, I want you to go shoot some arrows. So the king is like, okay, whatever Elisha says, right? He opens the window, he shoots out an arrow, and Elisha's like, so Aram should be destroyed. And he does it three times, then he stops shooting arrows. And Elisha gets very angry at him. And Elisha says, Elisha. He says to, to, to the guy, he gets very mad at him, and he says to him, I, if you would have hit it, if you would have done it five or six times, then you would have really destroyed Aram, until you literally destroyed it until there was nothing. But now that you didn't, now you only did it three times, Aram is going to remain a thorn in your side. Ramban is saying, Elisha knew that in the abstract world, in the world of the Gezerah, in the metaphysical reality, there was the ability to hurt Aram. So he attempts to symbolize hurting Aram by having the king of Israel shoot some arrows. The king of Israel only shoots three arrows, then he stops. 
that stopping means that it was not manifested enough in the physical reality, in a symbolic way, to destroy Aram. So therefore, Aram is going to remain a thorn in the side. Had only the king of Israel, only the Ayush, shot six arrows, he would have really destroyed Aram. How does he destroy Aram? He's shooting arrows out a window. No, this shooting of the arrows was symbolically referring to Aram. That would have destroyed Aram. That would have taken what existed in the Xero world, what it would exist in the metaphysical world, it brought it down to the Pearl Dimmy, it would have brought it down into this world, it may, would have made from the potential energy into something more kinetic, and it would have really taken that around. The third example that the Rambam brings to make his point is relation to Yemiyo. At the end of Yemiyo, Yemiyo is giving a prophecy about the destruction of Bavel. And Yemiyo says that he tells Baruch, he writes out his Nevoah about the destruction of Bava, all the terrible things that they did, all the destruction that they wrought. And he gives the Baruch, he says, go to the pras and throw this book in and says, so should be with Bavel. Why does he have to do that? Why do you have to throw this book with the, with the prophecy into the river? Why, what's the benefit of that? No. Says the Ramban, at that point there's a metaphysical reality. That metaphysical reality is that Bava is going to be destroyed. In order to make that happen, in order to give that a physical reality so that it can take place, we had to man- we have to manifest something physically. The more we're manifesting physically is something symbolic. That is true. But taking something from the Xero and bring it down to the Pyle Dimion, bring it down into this world, that is enough to essentially destroy Bava. Therefore says the Maral. Therefore says the Maral. What is happening on Rosh Hashanah when we are doing the Simonim? What we're really doing is saying that this. There is that metaphysical reality of the Yom Adin that's giving us what we hope is a good year. But we don't know for sure. By symbolizing and actualizing in a symbolic way with these simonim that we're going to have a good year, that makes us have a good year. That takes it out. It takes it out from the abstract world, the metaphysical world, and manifests it in a symbolic way and actualizes it in our world in a practical way. And therefore... It makes us have a Shana Teva Masuka. It makes us have a Yerbuzukhiye Seinu. Now, this is pretty amazing, Maral. Because if anything would sound like Nichush, this is it. We think there's an abstract reality, something that occurred that's going to give us a good year. In order to manifest it, in order to make it real, we've got to do certain Hibijibi, we've got to do certain signs. Says the Maral, that's exactly what we're doing, and it's 100% mutter. So that's the approach of the Maral. We saw already the approach of the Kobay, who says that you're davening. The approach of the Mi'ivi says you're doing tshuva. The Marsha says there's a difference between good and bad. And now we have the Maral who embraces it, who says that what you're doing is not nichosh. It's 100% mutter. Now for the remaining time that we have left, I want to focus on the approach of the Rambam. The Rambam doesn't bring down this opinion of Abaya. The Rambam doesn't bring down the idea of eating Simonim at all in Rosh Hashanah. 
And I think at first glance, the reason for that makes perfect sense. Because listen to that Gemara again carefully. The Gemara said, Amra Baya, Hashto de Amra Simona Milsa. Now that we say that a simon is really something, what do you mean, Hashto de Amra Simona Milsa? Now that we see that a simon is something, what do you mean, now that we see it? What about before? We didn't see it? What does it mean we're only seeing it now? You understand the question? What do you mean, Hashto de Amra? The answer is very simple. Abaya is part of a wider conversation in that Gemara. And that conversation follows on from another Vart. And this was a Vart from Rabbi Ami. Rabbi Ami said three things. Excuse me. Rabbi Ami said that if a person wants to know if they're going to live out the year, what they should do is they should go to a house that has no wind and take a candle, presumably a candle that's going to last for more than a day. It's got to be a 10-day candle. During Aserisim Eitshuva, light the candle, and if it lasts the whole Aserisim Eitshuva, then you know you're going to live out the year. That's what Rabbi said. And then he said something else. He said, if you want to know if you're going to have a successful business transaction, take a chicken and fan it up. If it gets nice and fat, then you know you can have a successful business transaction. And the Rabbi says a third thing. The third thing the Rabbi says is, if you want to know if you're going to go on a dangerous journey, if you're going to come back alive, what you should do is go to a house that's very dark. There's no light getting into that house. And if you see a shadow of a shadow, I have no idea what that is, if you see a shadow of a shadow, then you know that you're going to be able to come back from the trip. But if you don't, then you won't. That's your Ami. The Gemara responds, the Stama the Gemara, the narrator in the Talmud responds to this third suggestion of Rabami. It says that's not a good a good example because if the person didn't see the shadow of a shadow, whatever that means, then he's going to get depressed. And maybe the reason he's not going to come back from the journey is not because of the sign. He's not going to come back from the journey because he was depressed and he didn't take care of himself because he thought he was he was such a fatalist. He assumed he wasn't coming back. So the Gemara slugs up Rabbi Ami. At least the third suggestion. But nowhere in Halacha is Rabbi Ami brought down. The Rambam doesn't bring down Rabbi Ami. So I think you can make the argument that the Rambam did not bring it down Abayo because Abayo is predicated on Rabbi Ami. And if Rabbi Ami is not Lahalacha, the Gemara itself slugs up one of his examples. Then how can Abayo be Lahalacha? However, that's clearly not necessarily going to work for everybody. Why? Because we mentioned the Torah, the Shulchan Aruch, they bring down not Rabbi Ami, but they bring down Abaya Lahalacha. They bring down Abaya Lahalacha. They suggest that, in fact, there is an Indian to have Simon Mershashana. But if Abaya is predicated on Rabbi Ami, then how could they bring it down? Lahalacha. If they don't bring down Rabbi Ami because they say that's not Halacha, then how could they bring down Abaya? I think the answer to that question 
is that the Shulchan Aruch and the Torah are okay bringing down Rav Ami, even though they're not okay bringing down a, I'm sorry, they're okay bringing down Abaya, even though they're not okay bringing down Rav Ami, because if you look carefully at the case, it's clear that they're not talking about the same thing. Rabbi Ami saying, if you want to know if you're going to live out the year, then do this action about the candle and keep it burning in the house. And if it doesn't burn, if it doesn't last the whole session, it means you're not going to live out the year. So what happens then if a person goes out and makes a will? Right? Because you know it's not living out the year. That will be the classic example of Simonim. A certain action or an action that took place is causing you to do something. That's by definition Simonim. That's 100% Usr. Or the second example. Rabbi Ami said if you want to know if you're going to have a good business transaction or not, then you should fatten up a chicken. If it gets nice and good and fat, then you know you're going to have a good transaction. And if not, not. So what if the chicken got fat? You do the business transaction. That's Simonim. And if you didn't, do, if the chicken didn't get fat and you don't do the transaction, that's Simonim. That's 100% Usr. Rabbi Ami is classic Usr. What he says is what we consider Nichosh. Simonim. So I think Abai is very, very different. Abai is not saying that you should do anything in the year or not do anything in the year. He says, Hash to the Amra Simonim. So now that we see that Simonim are something real, so then, La'olam, Yehirogil, Lamechze, or Lamechal, or Lamechad, Bereshosa, Kara, Rubia, Karati, Silk of Atamri. He says, now that we see that Simmons is something for real, that symbolism has some weight, even if he's basing it on Rabbi Ami, fine. But he's not telling you to take or not to take any action. He's just simply saying to do something symbolic. So maybe the Torah and the Shulchan Aruch said that even though Abayah is predicated on Rabbi Ami, and even though Rabbi Ami is not Allah, Abayah can still be Allah. Should point out, by the way, that the Me'iri and others are pretty vociferous about Rabbi Ami being classic Nichosh, like a hundred percent Asr, and no doubt about it. Because anything that you do on the basis of an action that is supposed to be symbolizing something or not to, so if X or Y occur, and you're not going to do Z or do Z, that is the definition of Simana. So. That's why Abai, that's why Rabbi Ami is not brought down la by anybody. However, there is another part of that Gemara that we skipped. And that's the first line of this Gemara, right before Rabbi Ami. The Gemara says, ma'ayin. You don't anoint the kings except on a spring. When it comes to anointing a king, you do it on a spring. They didn't anoint every king. Basically, if the king was a king that was in a troubled time. Let's say, for example, Shlomo HaMelech. At the time of Shlomo HaMelech was becoming the king, there are pretenders, there's Adonio, there are others that want the throne. So therefore, David says, take him to the Gichai and anoint him. Why? To make it clear that he's really the king. So according to the way the, the, we paskin, the Rambam paskins, we, we anoint the king, if it's a first-time king, but if it's a Ben Acharben, and we don't anoint him unless there are other pretenders for the throne, other would-be contenders for the throne, and then we anoint the one who's the chosen one in order to uh, subdue 
all of the other contenders. But the Gemara's languages, we are Meishach the king and the Ma'ayan, so that their kingship, so that their 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 rule should extend. And the Meiri and the Marsha and others say the same idea, which is effectively this, just like a Mayan is a simon type. Why is a Mayan a simon type? It's this never-ending spring, right? Like the Mayan of Gaber. It's a spring that keeps on giving forth. So, so to the kingship, so to the rule of this king should always be going, giving forth and getting stronger. And that's the reason that we are anointing the king by the spring. The Rambam brings this down in the Halacha in two places in Klein Mikdash and in Hilchas Malachim. He says, Only the place where you anoint them is by the Ma'ayans, by the by by the Ma'ayan, by the um, by the spring, and again he says in the clay, The only place we anoint the king is on the Ma'ayan. Even though he doesn't explain, because that it should be shetimashich malchusai, even though he doesn't bring down the sim, the fact that it's a simon, but the halacha is based upon the fact that the Gemara says this is a good simon, it's a good omen. It's a good omen to anoint the king by the Mayan, by the spring. And the Rambam is bringing that down la halacha. So how is that different than Abaya? You want to have a good year. You want to have uh, a, 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 a nice year. So you're eating or you're looking at it, you're holding some simonim. How is that different than anointing the king by the Mayan? Seems to me it's the same exactly. You're not taking a specific action or inaction. You want to portend a good omen. So you do it by being Maisha the king, by the Mayan. You do it by eating the Simonim or looking at the Simonim on Rosh Hashanah. How is it fundamentally different according to the Rabbi? And he doesn't bring down Rabbi Ami that, that we understand because that's Nichosh. But he doesn't bring down Abaya because he's predicated Rabbi. Okay. But how do you bring down the similar type of situation by the king as a halacha? He doesn't say because Shatimashik Machusa. That the Gemara says that. But who cares if he doesn't bring it down? Obviously, it's a good simon. And he's acknowledging that that's a good simon. Moreover, if you look at the Rambam, the Rambam says that there could be good simonim, that you could say things, that this should be a good simon for me. For example, the Mar says, of Shim ben Elazar says, that if a person has a new wife, a new baby, or a new house, and he says it should be a good simon for me, no problem, you could do that. So if you could say that this new house, a new baby, a new wife should be a good simon for me, right? The Rambam doesn't bring down all three. He only brings down the new wife. And he only brings down the deer. He doesn't say the baby. But if you could say that this was uh, um, uh, that this is a simon type, how you saw light, should be a good simon for me. Or it's a good simon for me. Why is that a problem? If he says that is the fact of halacha, and it could be... Maisha, or you should be Maisha the king by the Maya because it's a good simon. So why not say Abaya? Have Simon and Rosh Hashanah to be a good simon? Why is he being so cheap on Abaya? He's bringing that other Simon okay? The Gemara that we said from Shimon and Chulin, this Gemara and Harius about being Maisha the king. Like, wh- wh- why is Abaya so much different? You're not taking any specific action or inaction. This is a fundamental question. Before we answer it, or attempt to answer it, I want to mention a couple of other points. The Gemara seems to suggest 
something that undercuts what I just said. That is to say, we have made clear that Rabbi Ami is 100% what we consider to be Aser. That these things seem like Nichosh. And yet, the Gemara in Chulin seems to suggest to the opposite. That in fact, you could make certain Simanim, and those are okay. For example, there are three examples in the Gemara I'll bring. One, the Gemara says that Rav was Badak B'mavra. Shmuel was Badak B'safra. And... Rabbi Yechanan was Badak Binuka. The Gemara says that Rav was Badak Mamavra. Essentially, they didn't have uh, ferry boats working on German time. There wasn't Swiss watches. So if the ferry boat came on time, you'd say, ah, it's a Simon Taif. So the Gemara says a story that he went to go visit his son in law of Hanan, and the ferry boat came on time. He said, ah, it's a good sign. So he gets to the house, and he doesn't eat any of the food. So the Gemara Ahavim, you know, was not eating. why is he not eating the food? I always am, I find this Gemara amazing. We're asking Akasha, why didn't Rav eat the food 1,500 years ago at a banquet? It's pretty amazing to me, you know, because we have stories like this, we haven't, there's a story that went around years ago when I was a kid that Rav Meshach Feinstein was at a breakfast and he picked up you know, the Golden Flow milk, or maybe it was prior to the farm, one of these companies, they put it down. So somebody said, oh, it's not kosher. Moshe, Moshe put it down. So they, so they said, what do you mean? It's not kosher. What happened? It wasn't with the hechsher. So they went to Moshe, and they said, you know, you picked up the Golden Flow milk, but you put it down. You picked up the prior to the farm, and you drank that one. What's wrong, what's wrong with Golden? Moshe said, the, the bottle is empty. Right? There's nothing wrong. The bottle's empty. What do you want me to do? So, the Gemara has a habimina that it wants to learn out from Rav not eating food at this banquet of the son-in-law that he was punishing himself because he was over on Nichosh. Because he said when the Mavra came up, when the ferry came, that it's a good sign. Amazing, no? The Gemara throws out that as a habimina. The Gemara doesn't like it. And in the end of the day, the Gemara says that Rav always did use this as a simon. He was Bodak by Mavra. If the ferry boat came on time, Rav would say it's a good omen, it's a good sign. We don't know if Rav necessarily did anything on that basis or not. We don't know. The Rav doesn't bring down what Rav, Rav's uh, um, good omen. Shmuel was a proto-Chabad chassid, right? Shmuel would, would open up a sefer, and whatever the sefer said, that's what he would go. It's like a girl hagra. So clearly Shmuel would take actions or inactions on the basis of what he found in a sefer. And... You know, according to the Rambam, he doesn't bring it down. That's presumably slip sliding a bit towards Simonim. Rabbi Yechanan, Badak Binuka, Rabbi Yechanan would ask a child what his Pesukim was that he was learning. And this we find that Rabbi Yechanan did it throughout Shas. And the example that Gemara gives there in Chulin is that when Rav was alive, Rabbi Yechanan would correspond with him. And he would write him letters with an honorific of greetings to our rabbis, to our masters in Bavel. When Rav passed away, and Shmuel now took me, who was his, Rav's Bar Plukta, who was now the senior, the eminent Greece in, in uh, Bavel, so he wrote, Rabbi Yechon, when he wrote a letter, he wrote a letter to his colleagues, to his buddies in Bavel. And Shmuel got very upset. A chutzpah, Rabbi Yechon thinks he's on my level. So he wrote him back all the calculations for Ibar for the next 60 years. So Rabbi Yechon was like, nah, this guy's a big mathematician. Why does that impress me? So Shmuel didn't give up. He tried again. So he wrote him like a hundred laws of like Trefus, like all these complicated rules. 
Now remember, Shmuel's bar plukt was Rav. Rav spent three years, right, associating with a shepherd to learn about all the rules of Trefus. And Shmuel himself was a doctor, so he probably knew a lot from Rav, and on his own accord knew a lot about about these uh, um, uh, rules of Trefus. So, so the Gemara says that Rabbi Yechon was impressed. He's like, ah, I see that there's still a rabbi in Bavel I can learn from. So he makes plans to go to Bavel. But before he goes, he asks the kid, Nu, tell me your Pasek. And the kid was learning Shmuel, and he said, Shmuel Mace. Shmuel was dead. So he said, Ah, Shmuel, that's a sign I shouldn't go. Now, what is that? That's Simonim. He asked somebody a sign, and he's taking an action or not taking an action on the basis of that. That's exactly a sign. If you look at the way the Rabbah brings it down, the way the Rabbah brings down Rabbi Yechon, because that's the one that he does bring down, the Rabbah says the following, If you ask a child, Which Pasuk are you actually are you learning? If he says a Pasuk from the Brachais, and you're happy about it, if you say this is a good sign, that's okay. As long, says the Rabbah, as you're not taking an action, or refraining from taking an action, then it's okay. So again, the Rabbah is bringing down Shmuel, uh, Rabbi Yechonon Simon, but in a way that's not like Rabbi Yechonon. Rabbi Yechonon relied on the Simon. The Rabbah says the line relying on the Simon is Simonim. It's a type of Nichosh. It's not allowed. The Rabbah does not bring down Rav or Shmuel Simonim. So, in a sense, the Rabbah is saying somewhat Lishitasai. Somewhat Lishitasai in the sense that he does not like Simonim. I would ask you, what about, the Gemara mentions one other example. The Gemara says, the way the Gemara disproves that Rav was punishing himself by not eating at the meal because of Simonim, because he had made a, a nichosh, the Gemara disproves it because Rav says that you're only over a nichosh in a specific situation. Well, you're only over a nichosh only if it's a situation where you're making a nichosh like, the Gemara says, Ba'amar Rav, Kol nichosh ben Evan Avram, ben In that situation over there, Yanison was uh, alone with his weapons bearer, and they're coming to a surprise attack on the Pelishtim, and they see them, and they make a sign that if the Pelishtim say, You wait over there, we're going to come get you, then that they're done. But if the Pelishtim say, Come on down to us, and we'll take care of you here, then it's a sign that the Pelishtim are in their hands. And Kachava. The Pelishim said, come down here, we'll take care of you, we'll show you a good time. And they they went and they routed them out. So that's a simon that Yannison made, and he relied on the simon. What about Eliezer ben Avram? We all know the story of Rivka. He made a simon and he relied on it. So according to the way the Rambam learns, why is that a problem? Because he relied on it. This is a very particular point in Pshat. If you recall, many some years back, we discussed, did the servant of Avram, did Eliezer give the gifts to Rivka before or after he found out her identity? Remember the test was? Give me a little bit of water. And the girl says, I'm going to give you to drink and I'm also going to give your camels. He, Haisha, that is the woman that Hashem has given for my master's son. So this was the woman who did it. She willingly gave water, not just to him, but she also watered the camels. So does he then respond by giving her the gifts with, and then only asks her the name? When he repeats over the story, he makes it clear that he first asked her the name 
and then he gave her the gift. Says the Rambam, no, no, no. He first gave her the gifts, and only then he asked the name. So that's a classic case of Simanim. He made a simon, and he relied upon the simon, and that's Usr. And that's 100% Chayv Machis today. That's what the Rambam says about Eliezer and Yenis and Simanim. We all know that there's many other commentaries. Right? For, and that, by the way, Rashi agrees with that. Rashi says that he gave her the presents before he asked who she was. But others disagree. The Rambam, the Rashbam, even as many others disagree, they say, no, 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 no. He, the Torah is ambiguous. First, he asked her who she was, and only then did he give her the gifts. According to that, then obviously no problem with Simonim because he wasn't relying on it. He first ascertained her identity before he gave her anything. So that is a huge machlagis in the among the Pashtanim and how to read that sukkim there in Parashchayisar. Says the Ravid, the Rambam is wrong, and if Eliezer was here, he would have shot out or Yonis, they would have shot out a pulse of Denura on him. We all remember the pulse of the new one from the Rabbin assassination, right? Some sort of mystical curse. The Ravid, this is Ravid number three, was a great mystic. He says they would have shot a pulse of the new on the Rabbin for saying such a thing. Because it's 100% it's mutter to do that kind of simanim. It's just you're really not supposed to ideally rely on it. But it's mutter to do it. That's the position of the Ravid. So where we are right now is we're Attempting to answer a question. The question is, according to the Rambam, why is it that when you bring down this halacha, that you do the Mashiach of the kings on the Mayam, you bring down the halacha about Rabbi Yechon and his Badak Binuka, you bring down the halacha of Shimon Elazar in relation to the Tinaik, not, but the Dira and the Isha is a good simon. So why not have us uh, bring down the Abaya? That's a good simon on Rosh Hashanah. Lamechzeh or Lamechad or Lamechal. You know, one of these foods. After all, after all, even if it's based on Rabbi Ami, there's enough other sources that say to us the following concept, which is as long as you're not doing any action or inaction as you're refraining from taking an action, then it's okay. The answer to that, I don't have. There is no clear 100% answer. But it is clear to me one thing. The Chazal weren't too pleased with what Eliezer did, that's for sure. The Morgan Tainus says, Normally in the Gemara Shabbos, he's always finding ways to get out of people, saying, But here he says, Eliezer, Yiftach, and Shol, and Eliezer was just shalish like a hagen because what he did was wrong. There was something wrong. Even if you don't call nichash, it's wrong. Something is wrong there. Why doesn't the Rambam bring down Abaya? I would suggest to you that the reason the Rambam doesn't bring down Abaya is perhaps because of the fact that it's very different than all the other simanim. All the other simanim that we mentioned, the Rambam brings down, are all individualized. Rav was Badak Bemavra. Again, the Ram doesn't bring it down. That's it for Rav. Shmuel's Badak Besafra. Rav Yechina's Badak Binuka. Right? The Meshach king on the Mayan. Rav Shimon says that if a person has a, a new bias, a new Dira, a new Tinaik, he could say it's a Simon type. Right? We could say it's, it's not Nichosh, it's a Simon type. Those are individualized. What's a bias saying? 
Abai is saying, Hashto de Amris, Simona Milso, Lo Oilam Yehe Rogel, Lamecha, Lamecha, Lamechze, Reishosa, Karta, Kara, Rubia, Karta, the Silk of a Tamri. That's not for an individual. That's for Claudius role. We're institutionalizing the simon. And I think that's for the Ramam, that's a step he can't take. You want to say for you, want to make a, a unique individual, this is my simon type, but when you start to suggest, not like the Maral, you don't have to say the Ramban that there's some you know d- divine, abstract, metaphysical decree that you're now bringing down. That would be according to the Ram 100% Nikhosh, fine. Um, to, to manifest, fine. But you don't have to say that. You're not manifesting anything. We're just simply institutionalizing and making all of Claudius Rodusimanim, then that's going to, by definition, create a certain situation where we are reliant upon it to having a good year. And imagine a situation where somebody doesn't have Simanim in a year. Do they now think that they're going to think possibly they're not going to have a good year? I bet you that there's a good chance that if somebody doesn't have Simanim in a year, then they will be concerned that maybe they're not going to have a good year. And for the Rambam, that's by definition the problem. To think that somehow this action, this symbolization is going to have an impact is by definition the problem of Simonim. It's by definition the problem of Nichosh. So therefore we can't institutionalize it. We can't paskin like Abaya. Even if there are other possible ways where we could show sources of using symbolism without taking a specific action, this one is different precisely because he wants to popularize it among everybody. With that, I'll be done. Good Shabbos. A good Shabbos.